They are welcome. Great to have you with us. And uh, we'll start, of course, with uh, this letter or uh, letters uh, or memorandum uh, that has come from uh, a number of countries, including the US and the UK, um, essentially taking uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa to task, warning that foreign investment uh, is at risk because of South Africa's failure uh, to prosecute people for government uh, corruption. Um, what do you make of this, uh, this memo? Why is it so significant? Well, it's significant because it's from some of our main trading partners. If you take those countries on its own, it constitutes more than two-thirds of all the trade that, that we're doing. So that in itself is significant. And I think if I had to give the letter uh, like a heading, I would have called it, we fed up for the politics of ambiguity. Mm. Um, because... Um, uh, even even during, during Davos, the meeting that Cyril had at um, the World Economic Forum, um, it was clear, and I wrote this in an article during the week, I said, it's fine to market the country, but if your own ruling party um, does not have unity of mission, say, for instance, on the Reserve Bank or... Um, with regard to land or with regard to Section 25 of the Constitution or whatever, how must somebody that wants to invest in the country um, understand what's going on? We as South Africans are trying to explain this ambiguity that um, this is part of a developing democracy. This is part of development. Development is always kind of paradoxical. On the one hand, you you know what you have to do. On the other hand, you can't do these things because the problems are so immense and so huge. And, and out of that is born this ambiguity. And uh, But I don't think it's that difficult. Um, and the response, of course, by the Minister of um, well, let's just call it foreign affairs. Mm. We, we, we use a different name for it now. But um, it was, was kind of um, negative, saying, but this is not the diplomatic way to do it. Well, let's get over the diplomatic way. Donald Trump is for two years now not following the diplomatic way. And uh, with all of these things, South Africa needs to have a unity of mission, and we need to make it clear what is in the advantage and what is the, the, the uh, benefits for people um, investing in the country. Why is investment so important? Well, foreign direct investment, in other words, money that flows into the country on a more permanent basis, rather than these quick in and out kind of money like on the stock exchange. Um, That's really what developing nations need is foreign direct investment. And for foreign direct investment, you need policy clarity and you need some stability. And I think this is the underlying message in this letter. Guys, we're having a hard time understanding you. <laughs> it's a bit of it's a bit embarrassing, also, isn't it? I mean, to have this rap on the knuckles from overseas. Yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, what is what is fascinating? If we look at the countries, Germany, America, um, we've got Switzerland, we've got Britain, and for a moment, I forgot the fifth one. The Netherlands. But Netherlands. Now. Um, when, when they talk to each other, that except, of course, Switzerland, when they talk to each other on, <laughs> on, um, on NATO, they have big differences among each other. Mm. When Trump visits Europe, they've got serious issues. When 
Theresa May talks to Angela Merkel, they've got serious issues because they must now negotiate Brexit. But it is when they look jointly at South Africa, they kind of see the same picture. So it's a, it's an interesting um, image that we've got here. How do you think that Ramaphosa will be able to or will attempt to reassure these countries then that their investments will be safe? I mean, it was less than a year ago that you and I were chatting about his trip to the UK and uh, yes, yes. Uh, sort of buddy-buddy with Theresa May at number 10 Downing Street and, and returning with uh, about $800 million in, in uh, UK funding. Um, what's he likely to do to, to put their minds at ease? Well, I think the response is going to be very ambiguous. Um, they, they're going to have a public response saying, guys, don't do it this way, and this and that and the other. And then they're going to have a private uh, discussion where they're saying, yeah, it's true. We have this problem. Bear with us. Um, then on the other hand, we must also remember that these countries understand the political situation in South Africa very well. It's, well, all, all five of those countries. Mm. Um, why I add Switzerland to the five, the big understanding. Switzerland, of course, is the banking capital of the world apart from London. And huge sums of money, of course, um, reside in Switzerland, in, in, in Swiss bank accounts and big corporates and so on and so on use Switzerland. And I think they understand what's at stake in the May elections. And this letter, I don't think, is without an agenda. It is kind of to force and to show um, to different role players in the political scene that um, the world outside is far more complicated than just um, a few um, political statements in your program of principles or your state of the nation address or whatever. So I think they also putting through that letter a little bit of pressure on South Africa. We won't find that pressure from Russia, we won't find it from China, and we won't find it from India. They also big trading partners, but uh, they play a different game. They, they don't do these public um, things, these di- diplomatic letters and the, the pressure. They would rather do it behind the scenes, softly, softly, but much firmer, but not in public. I thought it was interesting. Herman Mashaba um, replied to or made made comment about Durko's response to uh, to this uh, and saying it was uh, undiplomatic. And I mean, he sort of wasted wasted no time in in jumping on this and just saying, you know, what uh, essentially sort of saying what you were saying. Never mind, uh, never mind, diplomat breach of of, of protocol. Um, the, the the response he was saying was was uh, as as undiplomatic um, and and reckless. He called it. Would you go as far? to say that Durko's response has been reckless? No, no, that I won't say. What I do find interesting about Durko, our Department of International Relations, is that not only this response has been weird, funny, (laughs) but um, last week's um, reaction to what goes on in Venezuela was as weird and and funny. You know, we, we used to have a foreign policy that um, went and supported the guy, the underdog in politics, if I can call it that. The guys that are usually on the losing end that need to struggle and all these kind of things. And suddenly with Venezuela, 
we had a similar kind of response where we went for for the for the president that's obviously having a problem and not for the people as such. I would have even last week said to Dirk, hold your horses, um, take a much more uh, neutral stance because this thing in Venezuela is going to develop. And mm-hmm. I think the same with the letter to, to South Africa. It's going to develop. Now, it's easy, in my view, to... Um, to address the issue um, with the Brits, they understand what's going on here. It's easy to deal with the with the Dutch. It's easy to deal with the Germans, mm. and I think the Swiss uh, are not going to. Be, but the Americans, um, if we um, uh, uh, with the with the American response being part of this, I think we have to take a very very um, serious look at what's going on here because. We don't want to be on the receiving end of another tweet. <laughs> in in essence, what this this uh, this memorandum is saying is hold those responsible responsible, or or punish those responsible responsible. So, do you think? Uh, and back to the Zondo Commission, which we haven't spoken about yet this week. Do you think that we will be seeing some high profile arrests based on the testimony that we've seen before the Zondo Commission? Um, the president uh, himself saying this weekend that um, uh, the party has is taking several steps to to move forward as a, a movement of integrity um, and uh, that uh, that they are um, that those who are found those among us he said who are found to have been involved in wrongdoing uh, must be accountable for what they may have done is that him saying in uh, in a roundabout way that people will be arrested and will be punished and will be held responsible well you call it roundabout I call <laughs> it ambiguity right last week or the week before um, he said at Davos those nine horrible years and then when it goes to the misconduct and the corruption and the allegations of, of, of uh, maladministration, now it's a much softer tone. And, and the ANC even took Titu Mbuweni to task for repeating the nine horrible years story uh, in, a, in a different way. So that's the ambiguity that I spoke about. Mm. But I agree, it's not only these Western nations, mainly, but several other people saying, if you don't do something active and if you don't start doing things quickly, and I think um, Shamila Batoi may just surprise us by starting to do something because there's a lot of files that they can act on. I think we will start seeing things. The pressure is just too much not to do anything. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, move on. And of course, the EFF launched their 2019 election manifesto in uh, Shoshenguve this weekend uh, with a very energetic Julius Malema uh, calling uh, the the crowd to action. What for you were some of the main points uh, to come out of the of the manifesto? Well, I haven't heard anything new. Mm. What I what I do um, found in the it's a, it's a long document. It's uh, more than 160 pages. Um, so it's, it's too long for a, an election document. Sure. Um, uh, election document must be brief. It must be quick. It must be almost like an advertisement, uh, you know, a folder like you would get from a shop or something. But um, so that, that has been extremely academic. And I think this uh, member of the, uh, of the high command or the, or the, their, 
structure that recently received his PhD most probably wrote that. That's why it's so long. Um, but um, what was funny to me was they stipulated the issue of land. Remember, the land issue is the centerpiece of, of, of their policy this election. That they haven't spoken much about farmland and farming and those kind of things. They're more looking towards urbanized and, and, and land occupied by people and the difficulty people are having occupying land. Like we've said in the, in the past, the pressure is really on urban land. That is one area where I thought, okay, they're trading around some stories here. And then, of course, their big story on nationalization of the mines um, and do uh, all kinds of things, uh, the banks and so on and so on. Those aren't new stories. It's just packaged differently. Mm, mm. When when we look at uh, the uh, the EFF's manifesto, as you said, there's there's nothing particularly new there. But according to them, this this is a manifesto full not of promises but of commitments. How likely is it for them that they will be able to actually deliver on these commitments? They're speaking land. They're speaking jobs. They're speaking about the minimum wage. They cannot deliver on it because they're not they're not governing. Mm. So the, 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 the funny part or the interesting part of opposition parties, they can actually say what they want to mm. because they know they won't have to deliver. And, and even if they're in coalition, like with um, Herman Mashawa in, in Johannesburg and a few other places, the issue is really for the largest party to produce and not the coalition partner. So they... They've got their bread buttered on both sides. They so they, they get away with things. saying, the, they get yeah. away with being able to say all the right things. I mean, it's essentially a case of all mouth and no trousers, I guess. Yeah, they can say all of these things and they don't have to deliver. Mm. Why do they say these things? What, what is the purpose of what they're doing? Well, the purpose of the EFF has been ever since they, they've been established almost to impact on determine and influence the ANC's agenda. That's really what they're doing. Mm. Um, I mean, they did that with Zuma. They did that with several other things. They did that with higher education and all these kind of things. So uh, if if I were to um, determine how efficient they are in terms of their own policy, well, we can't determine that because they're not governing. Yeah. But are they efficient in determining the agenda? Yes, they do play a role in determining the agenda, like we've seen last year with expropriation without compensation. Just by starting a motion in Parliament, putting the ANC in a corner, they actually started to dictate some of the agenda items. The ANC, of course, isn't stupid, uh, and they outsmarted them on certain technical issues and, and what they've said and so on, but the point is they influenced the agenda. One of the one of the things that uh, the EFF were talking about was abolishing this thirty percent pass mark, um, th- and stating that will be there will just be learners will write one exam there'll be no IEB exam. Is this practical for a for a country like South Africa? Would that be a practical move? No, it won't be a practical move, and and uh, of course the big question is, and and that's a very philosophical one, and I I reflect on this quite often with my students, why on earth do we have to write tests and exams? Mm. What is the purpose? Are we trying to put individuals under pressure? Are we trying to get them to read the books? Are we trying to to test their understanding 
So you must really think about what the purpose of an exam is, especially if you look at the modern way of teaching where uh, computers and the Internet and these kind of things are becoming a much more active part of the learning experience. And even if, you, even if you're a pilot, now we, we all assume that pilots um, have to pass their tests with a high mark. Yes, they do. I think they need 80% to pass because you won't trust the pilot with a 30% pass rate. But um, they, they get several chances to pass. They, get, they, they, can do it, they can do it until they pass. So there's a lot of philosophy about the purpose of exams. But I think the schooling system is such that one will have to determine a, a, a level. You must, have, you must be able to assess whether the learner is actually grasping what he's doing. And if you don't do it at the school level, we are going to replace it to the university level. So now we can't rely on, let's say, a metric pass or whatever. We'll have to introduce our own measurements, how to allow students or not. We're already doing that for certain countries where we're not exactly sure uh, what level they are. So there are already things in place at most universities, but they they're actually just replacing the responsibility to another institution at a higher level. Just finally, Theo, in terms of the, the shortcomings in parties like the ANC that the EFF will be able to sort of springboard off off from, um, I mean, what, what are we talking about? What What is going to be uh, for the DA, for the ANC? Um, wh- wh- where are they most vulnerable when it comes to the EFF? Well, the the ANC is most vulnerable is most vulnerable uh, at the point where people are going to decide not to go to the polls, hmm. like they did in 2016, where three million potential ANC voters or people that used to vote ANC just stayed away from the polls. Now, if the EFF can mobilise some of those um, stay awayers if we want to call them that, mm, mm. then that works to the EFF. Um, and the, the same problem, of course, applies at the moment to the DA. The DA is in a kind of a political disarray on leadership and what they're doing. If it's not MC Manga that's um, resigning for weird reasons, then it's my money that's under pressure and all these kind of things. And there we see a similar trend that the traditional DA voter suddenly um, doesn't know where to vote. Therefore, what we're going to see in all probability in three months' time, because I'm expecting the election date to be announced during the SOPA next week, mm. um, that um, the I think the smaller parties are going to be the guys gaining in this election, and they're only going to gain because the average voter traditionally ANC voter just doesn't, doesn't know whether know. he should yeah. vote or not. Mm. And the DA guys are saying, guys, what do I do with my vote? If I don't want to provide it to the to the ANC and, and I can't give it to my traditional party, who else do I trust? So we see several of these smaller parties like COPE, uh, ACDP, um, even the Freedom Front in certain sections um, can be some of the guys gaining out of the vulnerabilities of the big parties. Mm.
Theo, we're going to have to leave it there, but uh, always great chatting to you. And we will chat, to, I'm guessing, probably actually on Thursday uh, after Sona. That's right. Great That's stuff. Right. Thanks, Theo.